Bolivanaka and welcome to Champions of the Pacific. I'm Tale Anderson. I'm Vinnie Wiley. Today we speak to two Pacific athletes about the importance of COVID-19 vaccinations. And footballers from the Cook Islands have ended a 16-month drought for international competitions. Whether it's the Tokyo Olympics, Grand Slam tennis or the Rugby League World Cup, the COVID-19 pandemic continues to cause major disruption to sporting events all around the world. Papua New Guinea footballer Alwyn Komalong is currently playing for Lay City in PNG's National Soccer League, while Tongan skier Kastete Naufahu Skeen is based in Sweden, where he's currently not training. Skeen contracted COVID-19 at the end of last year and says only now is he beginning to feel 100% again. Uh, I was in bed for about a month and it took me about a month to recover physically. And then obviously in that time I lost a lot of my pre-season conditioning um, so I was always playing catch-up last season after that. Do you feel now that you're fully over it? Because I know a lot of people have talked about long COVID that some people have suffered, mm. that it's, you know, even people that are super fit, it can, you know, really drag on and impact them for months and months to come. I have generally been quite lucky with that, although I have had some lingering issues with my taste. You know, compared to some people, I'm very lucky in that my um, long-term symptoms have been very, very minor. Um, and I think that's something that's probably quite important to talk about also is that it's not just about death. It's also about lasting uh, sickness from from the virus itself. Um, and one thing about the vaccine, which has been good, is that it has helped my long term symptoms. So my taste has improved since having the vaccine. Um, and I recently had my second shot. So I'm hoping that it will be fully back soon. And of course, you're living in Sweden, which of course has taken a, a different approach to many countries around the world and has been uh, the topic of plenty of debate. What's it been like for you living through that? Uh, it's been very difficult. Uh, I think particularly as lots of people here who have connections to outside of Sweden have had a, a broader view of the pandemic. I think within Sweden, a lot of people kind of look inwards at what's happening, but people who um, have family or are from another country um, kind of have taken more of a view of that it's something that we want to do to we want to try and minimize. I think the policy here has been very much to allow um, the spread of the infection at a kind of optimal pace. Um, and that's meant that it's been really unavoidable for a lot of people to to become infected, sadly. Um, and that's meant that levels of long COVID and lasting sickness have been very high in Sweden. So Elwyn, so here you are in Papua New Guinea, um, the Prime Minister saying that, you know, you can't force people to get vaccinated, but saying very clearly that if you don't vaccinate, you might die. Um, and, and so obviously the government there is trying to encourage more people. I think it's about 1% of the PNG population at the moment, roughly, that is currently fully vaccinated. So you're... Uh, you're among a very elite yeah. Uh, group. Yeah, the situation here is pretty lax, and I believe it's a lot to do with we. we it's hard to tell, but we haven't really had that high rate of death or that high rate of infection that we've seen everywhere else, and that's led a lot of people to believe. Um, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there, or the belief that we are somehow immune to that extent, but. Um, yeah, it's a lot to do with the fact that it hasn't really hit us here. And that's also got to do with a lot of things like the lack of testing and basically just going undetected. We probably had way more cases than um, that have actually been confirmed. But um, a lot of 
that information has led people to believe that it's not really that big of a problem here and that has led to a big hesitancy and not to mention the um, social media space where there's tons of misinformation going around and you know I, I'm pretty there's I'm pretty sure you've heard about the whole coin stuck on the stuck on the arm where you get vaccinated and stuff like that and um and it's just it's just a reflection of what the society here that's you know basically doesn't trust the government doesn't trust anything and um, that's the word of the land here how do you change that mindset i know you know as a footballer i know in fiji um roy krishna among others some of the sevens players the rugby players have been used um in government campaigns either they've been vaccinated themselves and, and encouraged mm -hmm. the public to do so uh is that something they've done in png with either the footballers or maybe your rugby league players to, to try and get that message across or, or any something like that? Um, I wouldn't say that many people have, uh, the government has really gone out after sporting icons to really drive the message. But I've seen recently players like Justin Olam and in, in the NRL, he's, he's a big personality and he's come out publicly in the media to encourage people to get vaccinated. Um, apart from myself in football, I don't, I don't know anyone in football here that's sort of come out, but um, it is, it is um, coming from us, it does help. And I've seen that um, amongst my teammates in the team. I mean, we've, we've had probably three or four, uh, two or three different workshops or information sessions, and they're still quite hesitant. And I think after I got it, I actually had a few bad guys come up to me and say, oh, I probably want to get it as well. And um, I just explained my reasoning and it was enough for them to um, seriously consider getting vaccinated. And was it easy for you to get vaccinated? And, and how did you come to that decision? The early stages of the vaccination that came out um, back home, there was a list that sort of went out and my father, I think, was, a, was on it. And he sort of said, hey, if you want to get vaccinated, there's an opportunity here. Um, at the time, the Malta opportunity was on the cards as well. So I just thought it would be a good good to get vaccinated considering with all the travel restrictions around it might help work in my favor to get vaccinated not only that um just thinking about the parents and all the people as well just to safeguard them so those are the two big reasons that i initially got vaccinated for and i tried to explain that as best as i can to as many people when i meet to explain why i got vaccinated what would your message be to people that are hesitant um, or people that are on the fence or, you know, whether it's in Papua New Guinea, Owen, it's in Tonga or Sweden, Kaseta, it's very much about vaccinations around the world at the moment, trying to, you know, I guess, um, outrun the, the Delta variant at the moment in particular. Um, and, and in the Pacific, there is a lot of hesitancy. So um, what would you say, what would your message be to somebody in that position? We'll start with you, Owen, and then, and then go to Kaseta. Um, I'd say um, trust your um, health, health authorities. Um, no one's forcing it upon you, but do your due diligence and trust trust, trust uh, the trusted resources that are available. Um, I think there's enough information going around that's um, from health authorities that is valid. And um, I think we can all come together and try to get back to normal. Um, I think the faster that we do that, the faster our lives can return to normal and we can get fans back into the stadiums here as well. Yeah, I would say, um, I think there's a lot of, focus on on death and i think it's important to remember it's not just the risk of death but the risk of long-term illness which is perhaps even greater than the risk of death uh, not just in old people but also in young people and children um, so i would encourage everyone to to get the vaccine and anyone who has any um, 
questions or, or issues, I would say the same as Erwin, that they should speak to their, their local doctors and health professionals for advice. Two Cook Islands football teams achieved a major milestone during a week-long tour of Aotearoa last month. The under-15 boys and under-16 girls teams each played four games across the Auckland region, ending a 60-month stretch without international football matches in Oceania. The teams were made up of players from Rarotonga with a selected few from the outer islands. Cook Islands Football Association Technical Director Tahiri Elekana said the trip was an opportunity for players to experience international footy. It's just about giving them that reward from the player development to come here to express themselves, to see where they are in terms of um, standard of football. The coach of the under-16 girls team and the Cook Islands women's football development officer, Tupo Patia Brogan, tells me how football changed her life and how she intends to use it to inspire the future football players of the Pacific. I played so many sports, rugby, touch, netball, volleyball. I don't know, somehow soccer just drawn me to, you know, play soccer. I think it's just one thing my coach was telling me, that um, the only way you will succeed in, in the sports is that you stick to one and you'll grow and you get better and better. So I, I had to make a decision. I was 15 when I made it into the Women's National. Um, I was the youngest player, and this is when we had an English coach. He was telling me this. So it was something for me to think about because I've always been invited to so many sports. So, yeah. I read that you were actually quite feisty on the field as a player. Um, You got a lot of red cards, a lot of yellow cards. We're trying to tell the referees how to do their job. (laughs) Um, So that's when you actually decided maybe... I need to pick the whistle up myself. Yes. Um, well, at home in the Cook, in the Cook Islands, in Rara, where we played, uh, I always talk back to the ref because I didn't agree with them. I got a lot of cards. Um, yes, I was feisty, and also I was just just hard. I just, you know, I was just into the play. And, and I think at the same time, I didn't really agree with the ref, so I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to take up refereeing. Maybe I could teach referees how to uh, riff better. better. So, um, yeah, that's why that's how it came about. Um, studying the law of the games, it just made me understand the game more better, more you know, broad. In 2015, you entered the record books as a first Cook, Island, yeah. first Cook Islander to uh, referee an international match at the FIFA World Cup in Canada. Uh, what was that experience like for you? To me, it was amazing. It's, um, I don't know what's the right word. It was just to, a miracle. It was a miracle that, you know, my dream came true. I've, I've always thought of going to the World Cup, but I didn't know how I was going to get there. And then when I was playing, I was, you know, starting at, you know, the age of 10 and didn't do much ball work. I didn't know how how I could get to that level. So... Eventually, when getting into referee, I managed to travel around the Pacific, and then from there, getting selected to be into the, you know, to be invited into FIFA referee. So, going to the World Cup was a dream come true for me, to be honest. Um, it was hard work. It was a lot of commitment. Sometimes I have to put my family aside, 
and you know just focus on refereeing getting fits and you know, making it there. It was a sacrifice. Oh, so now back home, uh, you're the Cook Island Football Association's Women's Football Development Officer. Yes. Uh, tell me a little bit about your role and your goal for football in the Cook Islands. All right. So I've just given the role um, this year. So I've been in the role as a Women's Development Officer for, say, four months. So it's it's really new to me. I started as a gym manager, then I became a coach, and I found coaching really interesting because you work with a lot of um, different age groups. Um, and then being given the title of a women's development officer, I think this was fantastic because it's the right timing. My my aim is to grow women football, um, starting from grassroots. Um, if we can get our grassroots going with a lot of skills, the ball work, and then gradually build up to the women's, I think exposing also that plan here, travelling overseas, like this development tour that we're doing, I think we, we will have really good future players that we didn't have to depend on our brothers and sisters overseas. We can just get home-based um, players. You know, it's giving back to them. Um, I mean, they live there, they know what's like, um, and... I don't know, it's giving them that opportunity instead of for them travelling overseas to get that opportunity, we should be able to give back to them at home. Because I know most most of the time, like, a lot of our kids and, you know, some adults, they have to come overseas to get into teams like this because we don't give them the opportunity, we don't believe in them. But if maybe they've given a chance, you know, and also... Not only that, not just to train at home, you have to also spend money to expose them to the level of football overseas. Then they can see, okay, this is what is required of me. Because most of the mentality back home is just, ah, uh, just lay back, and they don't really know um, what the challenge is. So I think this is also one of the things that we came about bringing a team on tour. Has it been hard for you? Because obviously you're dedicated, you want uh, women's football to thrive in the Cook Islands, mm. so much so that you've come here with your 10-month-old son <laughs> and your mum to see it through. So you must be pretty dedicated and, um, you yeah. know, you really want to see these girls do well in the sport. Yeah, um, yeah for me it has been challenging. Um, it's a lot of work, um, a lot of time away from home, um, Sometimes I think to myself, oh, how do I do this? I'm so tired. I mean, just giving birth. And and then I just, you know, I always have to remind, sometimes talk to myself, you know, I can do it, I've done it before. Yeah, it has been challenging for me. Um, it's because I, I, I think because I'm passionate about the sport, that that's what picks me up and drives me. Like, it's not about money, it's not about... No, I don't. That's not my drive. My drive was because I'm a I'm passionate about the sport. Because when I think about that, I love the sport so much, and I want to see it grow. Which I've already thought about this when I was a lot younger. I always had a vision that one day I could see our players back home instead of getting players from overseas. If we can work and nourish our players back home, that they will succeed and go overseas and you know, build that, um, I don't know, share to the world, coming from a small place, 
um, that we are also able to reach this level of football. If you want to hear more from Champions of the Pacific, you can find us online at rnz.co.nz. Just click on the Pacific tab. You can also download us from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. Until next time, ka kite.